Oh, I got a go message. Okay, I'm gonna go. Three, two, one. Hello everyone, my name is Jean Gallagher, financial advisor and founder of Seaside Solutions and founder of Discover Rising Tides. Welcome to show number 29, Discover Rising Tides, how the outside makes the inside better, where we explore the importance of the outdoors and maintaining life balance. Through this series, we'll be talking to women business owners to understand their journey. And we'll also be hearing from Lynn Schusler-Williams, author and coach in her segment, Rising Up. But first, today I'm excited to introduce Erin Marcus. Hi, Erin. How are you? I'm awesome. How are you? Great. And this is a an, this is a redo. We had some technical issues the first time, but before we get into, or in the second time, so before we get into everything, let me just read your bio quickly. And sure. so Aaron, Aaron is the founder and CEO of Conquer Your Business, an international company helping entrepreneurs and small business owners get out of reaction mode so they can be in charge of their business and in charge of their lives. Having made the successful leap from corporate executive entrepreneur to entrepreneur, she uses the experience along with her MBA education and street smart upbringing to help her clients reach the heights that they never dreamed possible and having fun doing it. Gotta have fun or what's the point, right? Isn't that the truth? Didn't do the, I, I say that all the time. I did not quit a six figure job I love to be miserable. and so the challenge with that is you know we I came from the corporate world too before I went out independently but in a different field altogether but what a lot of people think that getting into your own business is easy no it's not easy but it doesn't have to be miserable Right, exactly. And so that's that's really the point I want to make. There's such a difference between hard work and for yourself and hard work for somebody else. You can be miserable in both places. Right, exactly. And you're and hopefully you're gonna work hard in both places. Right. So right. And so if that's your default, mm-hmm. if that's yeah. your default, why not do it for yourself? Exactly, exactly. So as we not get ahead of ourselves. to work through the challenges of being on your own. You froze up on me for one second. Oh, first half oh so, so you, you left a job that you loved. Why? Number one, right? And then going to moving to being on your own with those business challenges. But I think also the harder thing for people that are leaving the corporate world is like you said, you had a six figure job. So that's very difficult emotionally to break that, to break that and then go without a safety net. So it is and it isn't. So here's, here's how I'll put that to you. Number one, you don't want to be the person, the fun, the the hard part is having the conversation with your mother that you're leaving a six figure job, right? Especially when there aren't entrepreneurs in the family, right? So that's one piece of it. The me leaving corporate falls under the the umbrella of I'm glad I didn't know what I didn't know because if I knew I probably wouldn't have done it. If I knew I probably wouldn't have done it. So what I find and what my own journey was as well, and it's why I love working with these people um, so much, is I did really good in corporate. 
I had a great job. I had a great career. I won awards. I had accolades. I had fun. I got to work with amazing people. And I thought, I'm like, wow, Aaron's so smart, right? I think I'm freaking brilliant. Of course, I'm going to be great as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. right? I'm like, there. I did so well in corporate. Of course, that's going to translate and I'm going to be great as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And what I learned the hard way was... I was brilliant and great on a set path, right? With bumpers in the gutters. I did really, really well. I'm not, you know, trying to downplay what my accomplishments were, but people underestimate the structure that a corporate job provides. Oh, that is they, true. Right, you underestimate the structure. You underestimate, even especially for really driven people, like I'm a, very driven person. I underestimated the level of accountability that comes inherent with a job, especially a corporate executive level job. And I thought I just did things because that's what I was supposed to do. Well, yeah, until you're scared out of your mind and you don't know what to do and you're up against everything that makes you insecure, right? Then it becomes perfectly reasonable to like match the Tupperware to the lids instead of doing the blog, right? But I didn't know that, right? And Mm -hmm. so there were things that I came out of corporate with that served me very, very well. Um, Number one is a work ethic, right? Mm -hmm. We're used to working full days. Number two was the idea of delegating. There's never been a bone in my body that made me think I had to do this all myself. Um, And I attribute that to my corporate experience. And I attribute that to a reason for my success, but there was a lot coming out of corporate that wasn't so helpful. Mm-hmm. Like what? What's not so helpful? What's not so helpful, especially if you've reached a certain level in corporate where you're making decisions, corporate jobs, corporate companies, and by corporate, I'm just meaning larger scale companies, not anything fancier than that, but they live and survive in a risk adverse environment, mm-hmm. right? Every decision is carefully thought out with, you know, keep me off the front page of the newspaper for the wrong reason and (laughs) deciding factor, right? There's a lot of risk adversity Mm -hmm. and um, risk assessment. And let's spend a million hours and a million dollars in figuring out if this is the right thing to do before we even do it. Mm. As an entrepreneur, your success is tied to how much risk, how much risk you can kind of handle without passing out. So automate. Or showing up on the newspaper for the wrong reason. <laughs> so automate, right? And I always say, so automate it. So the next two steps happen regardless of whether or not you're conscious, right? You're, you're up against a different way of thinking. Mm-hmm. What I love and what I laugh about now is I'm probably completely unemployable because yeah. I can't go back to have eight meetings for seven people to make five decisions over the course of six months. Mm -hmm. Now, and I'll be perfect example. I was trying to come up with a way in my business to serve people at a certain level, Mm -hmm. um, to fill out my portfolio of offers. And the first three things, nobody wanted them. Zero people, like nobody wanted them. The fourth thing I came up with has been a huge success. 
the beauty of being an entrepreneur is that entire experience of coming up with three different ideas that nobody wanted, doing the having the conversations to figure out why, and coming up with the fourth thing that is finally being really well received took 45 days total. Hmm. And I don't think cost me a thousand dollars. Wow. But for a lot of people, you get past the second thing and then you start to try the third thing. And then you're like, well, this just doesn't work. And you go back and work for somebody else again, because it's easier. Because it's right. Well, it's easier because it's not as scary. It's defined. So it's It's easier. Right. And also it's easier. It's only easier. Think about it this way. It's only easier when you see your business as an extension of your Mm self-worth. The Mm -hmm. reason, right? The reason I was able to go through three iterations of failure to a fourth iteration of success in 45 days was because I've done enough work and studying and practice and journaling and maybe crying to... (laughs) right to make that separation that I now am able to fully embrace the idea it's feedback not failure I came Mm. up with three things never to sell in my business again this is very important information (laughs) this is very important information and I don't see it as a failure I don't see it as Aaron stupid I have no idea what I do it's easy it would be easy to go down that rabbit hole Mm -hmm. it's business not personal it's and, and being able to separate the two, but it is still personal as well, but being able to separate, I guess, how you identify, you have to not identify yourself with three failed attempts. You have to identify yourself with the, the ability to problem solve and listen to exactly. feedback. Listen to fe- And we did that. That was another thing that I've had to learn how to do, whether or not something works or doesn't work, regardless of which way it falls, mm-hmm. I reach out for feedback. Mm. And I've learned if I reach out for feedback during the successes, it created the habit that allows me to reach out for feedback during the failures without getting upset. Oh yeah. Right. Create Because it's a normal piece of the process. It just becomes a normal piece of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, here's the thing. You don't have to make it hard on yourself. You can use, I'm all for a good hack to make things easier. So if, if I created the feedback habit during mm-hmm. successful situations, it just became a habit and not a bigger story about mm. anything other than, wow, why didn't they want that? Wow. Why did they want that? You know? Right. So let's talk about delegation for a second. Sure. So I t- I'm terrible at it. I know it. Um, and there's probably a control issue, right? So, so in the corporate world, I wasn't necessarily great at, it was hard for me to delegate but I learned and being self-employed, I'm fortunate enough that I'm in a situation where I don't necessarily have to delegate a lot because it's, it's not necessarily one of my strengths, but for people that are, whether you're good at it or not, once you're going off on your own, you can't do it all yourself. Exactly. Exactly. And delegation, it really, everything I do in business is reverse engineered. Mm -hmm. Start with the end in mind. What is it that I want? Okay, what's the step that exists before that? The step that exists before that until I get to the point where I am now. And whether or not you need to get good at delegating has a lot to do with what you're trying to accomplish. If you want to be a highly, highly successful, just a couple of clients, 
you probably don't need to delegate a lot because you're not going to have a large scope to your business. You can just charge a lot and work for a couple people. That is a perfectly reasonable, and I've met several people out there, business model. Mm-hmm. However, the truth of the matter is, and this was horrifying, this was not my original concept. Um, I just had a visceral reaction to it when I heard it, so I will share it with you. Um, especially again, for those of us coming out of corporate where we had income, where we had achievements, a six-figure entrepreneurial job situation is really only equal to an entry-level job take-home pay. So if it takes getting over 250 a year gross in an entrepreneurial venture, for you to make more than what's what's effectively an entry-level position in corporate. You probably want to grow your business. And I'm just, I have no problem with people want hobby businesses. I have no problem who people want side hustles. I mean, literally you can't, I can't stress that enough. But if you're going to grow a business, especially if you're a woman because we need more money in women's hands, Mm-hmm. freaking go for it don't settle just because you don't think you can do it mm-hmm. if you want a small thing perfectly reasonable but don't settle just because you think you can't do it mm-hmm. or you're not allowed to do it or I'm okay with my little thing for any external reason whatsoever and sometimes it's hard for people to envision yeah. the bigger thing because you're going from nothing to this big thing in your mind, but you're forgetting that there's growth that happens along the way. It's iteration. What's the big thing right now? Not what's the ultimate big thing. You're right. A lot of times, if you get too high in the sky from day one, you don't know what to do today. Mm-hmm. And one of the phrases that I picked up on in the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey was, I needed to hold the vision, but act in the present. Mm, say that again. I needed to learn how to hold the vision, mm. but behave and act in the present. That was not easy for me because, again, coming from a successful background, I got in on my entrepreneurial journey and immediately compared myself to everybody who'd been doing their thing for 10 years and basically felt that I sucked all the time. Yeah. Less than helpful, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so- not motivating. Not motivating at all. <laughs> it doesn't help you overcome the, the, there's peaks and valleys. There's this great um, picture of the life of an entrepreneur that I saw. You know, it starts here eight or nine o'clock in the morning or whatever time, cup of coffee, it yeah. goes up and then all of a sudden it plummets. Great. This is and great. then you start to build it up and it plummets again. And then after you might get a little up and then, and, and so it's that, I call it the rebound rate. How, and in the beginning, their rebound, my rebound rate in the beginning was really slow. Like months. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So if something bad happens or something doesn't even have to be bad, something less than splendid happens, it doesn't have, it could be a spot on your shirt. It could be anything, right? Because when you're going through, it could be really terrible, but it could be just really small, but emotionally it feels really large. Yep. How, how well are you going to rebound from that? There's a whole book about that. I forget, but they used um, athletes as the example. And they, Mm -hmm. I particularly remember them talking about tennis players that 
how fast you can recover from the emotional stress mm -hmm. is a huge indicator of success um, in athletes. And they talked about the ability to go from losing a point to um, serving the ball, which is in most cases, 15 steps in 25 seconds. Mm -hmm. Can you get your heart rate down? Can you get your head back to reset that fast? Mm -hmm. And that's how um, professional athletes and really high-performing athletes, it's one of the traits that they have that allows them, you know, and we see it all the time. They, you know, divers have a massive fail and then mm -hmm. have to climb right back up the ladder. Right, yeah, oh yeah. So, so when you're talking to somebody that's in corporate and they're considering going off on their own, how, how do people identify their strengths or what strengths carry over? Or is there a process or does it differ from person to whatever they're going into? I think it, um, the strengths carry over what I would, you know, there, there has to be a level of awareness. I, again, I just go back to, I, I'm so glad I didn't know what I didn't know. My first post-corporate meltdown was over, it was like three days in real, the printer wouldn't print. <laughs> and I realized I had nobody to call and zero ideas what to do about this. Right. So throw it I, out, buy a new one. <laughs> That was back Gosh, when yeah, you know, like, can't do this. Down, right, download print drivers and things way not not my zone of genius. Um, whatever it is you're good at, surround yourself with people who are good at the other things. Mm -hmm. The downside, the bad news, it's not downside. The bad news is you can't get ready for this because there's it's one of those things that like you can only get good at it by doing it. Mm -hmm. A business plan only matters to the bank and no one else cares after that. Um, but you know, best laid plans, you don't know what's going to happen. So you can only get ready to get ready, to be ready, to do the thing, to be ready for so long. You're only going to get good at it by doing it and do your homework, save your money. But one day you just have to jump off the cliff. And yeah. I do you right. I mean, that's really, you, you either going to pull the trigger or you're not. Um, I'm a fan of burn the boats, right? I'm a mm -hmm. fan of, I'm just going to try this for a couple months. It doesn't work. Back. No, not at all. But I, I agree with the burn the boats part, but there has to be preparation prior to lighting that match. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so, you, but there's, and the preparation is twofold, right? It is not only is your business plan or do you have some idea what you're going to do, if you're leaving a six-figure job or whatever job you're leaving, how are you going to, if you expect that you're going to bring money in in the next three months, you need to revise the plan because it's probably closer to six to 12 to 18. Yes. And how are you going to financially set yourself up so that Murphy doesn't show up? Because if you have not enough savings to support yourself, you're going to have that Murphy on your shoulder and things are going to go badly. Well, and it's right. And what you're describing the way that I call the way that I talk about that is the two things that will kill your efforts. And this is not just in as an entrepreneur, like mm -hmm. this will kill your efforts with your mother. This will kill your efforts in a marriage. Like the two things that just ruin everything in human decision-making 
and my opinion is desperation and insecurity. Mm. And when you're insecure, you make bad decisions. And when you're desperate, you have all sorts of wonky energy. And mm -hmm. so if you're insecure about being an entrepreneur, you're going to say yes to things you shouldn't have said yes to. And the money's not going to be where it should. And when you're desperate for a sale, people can feel that because oh. you're making it about you instead mm -hmm. of about your client and their business is not about you. Right. And it just messes it up. It's not that you can't grow through those things. It just makes it so hard. So whatever you can do in preparation to lessen your desperation or lessen your insecurity is just going to serve you completely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I like how you put that because desperation and insecurity are the two things that you wouldn't, that are not in your business plan. No, and you're not expecting them. I mean, I didn't. And you don't know when they're going to show up. And then because they're tricky, they you don't think you're even in it, right? Oh, yeah. It's fine. It's all fine. I'm, I'm just going to work harder. I'm just going to do more, right? And it's, and I, I guess that would lead me to coming out of corporate. I didn't know what coaching was. And it's just a weird journey for me being now a coach consultant, mm -hmm. but that's exactly why I did it. Coming out of corporate, my experience was if you needed to learn another thing, you went to school. Mm -hmm. I have an MBA. I had certifications. I wasn't prepared for the need for the mindset work. Mm -hmm. I really was not prepared for the level of mindset work that truly made the difference. Mm -hmm. That it's an inner game before it's an outer game. And the way that I describe that now is the plan doesn't matter if you can't do the plan. If you can't be the person who does the plan, the plan doesn't matter. And I never saw that coming. And I don't know that you can prepare someone for that because there's no frame of reference for it. Mm -hmm. um, so what is the mindset work? The mindset work is about where your beliefs are about yourself in the world. Do you, it's amazing to me, the sneaky little money stories and how they came to play. Because I didn't have them when I was in corporate because I was following the laid out, of course, you're just going to do this path. So there was no reason for the money stories to pop in. Mm -hmm. There was no reason for the self-worth stories to pop in. So that you have to work hard. So, so, so hard to make money. Well, the problem with believing that you have to work hard to make money means you make everything freaking hard before you make the money. Like these goofy things that I just never... Like, what mm -hmm. if it were easy? Why can't we just do it that way? There were, it took a while for me to figure that out, right? Mm -hmm. Didn't do it by myself. <laughs> why would, and, and so learning that side of it, how do you build resilience? Mm -hmm. Not just from a conceptual level, but an actual, how do you build resilience? How do you build trusting in your own instincts? Going back to the beginning of this conversation, when three things in a row have failed, how do you build trust in your instincts and in your decision-making? Yeah. And why would you think that number four would be okay? How do you work yourself out of that, that mindset? Because three, three sucked. When right. I, why, why would, why could I make, why would four be any different? Why would four be any different at that point? Completely. And so how do you, how do you change that? What do you do to say, is it a, a really a self analysis of what, 
went wrong with one through three to create how was four going to be different or or do you oh, look yeah. at how similar one through three really were i mean in that particular place it was two things it was a complete um objective look at what were we offering versus what people said we want they wanted mm -hmm. and what were we willing to do for at certain price points mm -hmm. and how do you combine what people said they wanted with what we're willing to do and put that together but we didn't know what people wanted until they didn't buy something and we talked to them mm -hmm. and, and, and and actually talking to them afterwards yeah is invaluable and to, and having a sales conversation when they said no, where we asked them, what were their pain points? What were they looking for? Like just having real sales conversations, not transactional conversations. Mm. You know, it's one of the first things I try to teach people. Um, you talk about leaving corporate. The only way to get really, really good at marketing and messaging, which is exactly my wheelhouse, like that's my number one thing is marketing and messaging and strategy. The only way to get really good at it is to get out there and do it and get the feedback to what you're saying. And you cannot come up with good messaging sitting alone with my cat in my office, right? I have to get out there and talk to other human beings. And that's where that piece of corporate really sends people awry because they think if they just sit down at their desk with their computer, mm -hmm. they'll come up with what people want. And it's not like you're going to be way, way, way off base, but the best, best messaging comes from the people you're trying to help. Hmm. And you can't come up with that without talking to them. And you have to be okay with hearing what they don't want. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And figuring, you know, and then applying what they say they want to what you know would actually make a difference because you're the expert. And then putting that together in a package for someone to say yes to. Right, because Henry Ford always said, if I would have asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse, right? So we don't wanna give them just what they want. You wanna take what they say that they want and don't want, look at what it is, the problem that you solve and what your expertise is telling you, it goes back to you know, sell them what they want and give them what they need mm -hmm. and putting that together for them. So your transition from corporate your where you are now is different than where you first stopped at oh corporate. yeah yeah i left corporate and went into the franchise world because mm -hmm. i think that really i needed that bridge i don't know mm -hmm. that i would have left into something a complete unknown mm -hmm. um but i come out of the long-term care insurance industry so it made perfect sense to me at least in my head the first thing i did was a franchise of caring transitions which worked with families with aging parents. We did a state liquidation and, and senior move management. Um, it was awesome in a million different ways. It was also traumatic because you're in the middle of every family's crisis. It was, I had 15 employees. I mean, I had a great experience. I got my office to the top 10 out of 200 offices in about 18 months. Wow. And the franchisor, because of the business background, so ran it like a business. The franchisor then had me, you know, had hired me to help launch new franchises, speak at their events. And then when I was networking, the chambers that I was networking at trying to get business for my caring transitions business, they didn't want to hear about families with aging parents. They were all like, how are you growing your business so fast? How are you doing this? And so it just started helping people in that way, which truthfully was some of what I did in corporate.
Mm-hmm. I used to teach financial advisors how to talk to their clients about long-term care insurance, why it was so important, how to build their business that way. So I'd already been doing this. Mm-hmm. I just didn't realize- It wasn't defined. It wasn't defined and it was under someone else's flag. So it just didn't occur to me that that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, then in my franchise world, I did it again. I'm like, oh my God, this is so much fun. Mm-hmm. Like, let's see, I could have a million logistical nightmares working with a family and trauma- or I could help somebody change their lives by making, you know, multiple six figures in a year based on a VIP day we put together. I don't know, which do I want to do, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. really what it came down to in the end. Mm-hmm. And that makes the transition. It was really, like you said, you needed a stepping stone. What you needed that had bumpers, yeah, the franchise, in order yes. to get to something that really had none. Right. And something that was more uniquely me, something that was the other thing, the, the iteration of Aaron just being Aaron and not what I had to be in corporate or what I was thought I was supposed to be in the franchise world. Mm-hmm. And now like the bumpers are completely out of the gutters because I just <laughs> do whatever it is I'm going to do. And I say whatever it is I'm going to say. And I've learned that's that way my people are attracted to me by just being me and I'm attracted to them by just being them instead of the mushiness around what happens when you're not able to do that yet right. because it's been beaten out of most of us. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the corporate, <laughs> right. So in the corporate world, you have to really portray what your company right. expects of you. And so for me, transferring to financial services, there is an expectation within the industry, even though I'm independent within the industry, there is an expectation of how you appear. And and there came a point in time through my transition of doing this for 17 or how many ever years it's been that I finally said, I don't want to be that, but I want to do this still. So let's be my, let's be myself. And instead of, you know, appearing like that, the three, yeah, that, (laughs) that, and and once you, once you, and I think you have to actually come to a point that you're comfortable within your business self. Absolutely. And your skill set to be able to say, that's not important. I can still have the same skill set, but I can be myself. And then it becomes more genuine. Right. Because I don't think you can start there. You know, no. I interview a lot of people on my podcast as well. When we talk about this, I, it would be very hard to start there. Mm-hmm. It's something that comes with not just age, but maturity and um, skills, like you were right. saying. And one of a mentor that I worked with for quite some years, we still keep in touch. He always told me, the weirder you are, the better you have to be at what you do. Mm. The weirder oh, yeah. you are, the better you have to be at what you do. I, I'm not necessarily so weird, but I'm very blunt. I'm very direct. I am not for everybody. The more, the better I am at what I do, the more I'm quote unquote allowed to be that person and still be successful because mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, if I would have tried this in my twenties, I would have just been a jerk, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What does she think she is? What does she know? Right now that, you know, 52 plus I've got some credentials. Right? <laughs> it's the creds that matter. Right. I have different creds than I did back in the day. Chicago public schools and all. 
<laughs> now, the, now the Chicago public school, school system <laughs> can show up. <laughs> so, so Nala, tell us a little bit about your how your coaching business now and how is it structured? Sure. What do you do? How do you how do it? structured? Oh my God, this is so awesome because I'm excited about what we have finally reached is a point in the business where we have a, a variety of ways to help people mm -hmm. at different levels right? So when you're growing a business, you really start out with the higher price one-to-one -one offerings because you need the money to come in. I tell people that all the time. If you have no audience and you want to launch your business with a $47 course, you will run out of money before you meet enough other humans to buy your course, right? So that's where I started, right? With private coaching. And now I'm very excited to have a 90-day quick win. Aren't we calling it the Entrepreneur Accelerator? It's completely designed to get someone's ball really rolling. Mm. Like not necessarily newbie beginners, but people who are like, all right, I need to make this, I mean to make a change. So we have a 90-day program. And then I have two group programs for different business levels which I love because not everyone's at the same level. So the content is more geared towards, are you launching your efforts or are you leveraging your efforts? And that's what we call them, launched and leveraged. And then I have my private clients either through a VIP day or through personal coaching. And I have no attention span. I don't know if you've picked up on that. But what I love about- but I'm concerned because I might not have picked that up. So that means that I have the same attention span as you. Good luck. <laughs> But what it, what it is truthfully is I just freaking love learning about people. I love learning about people and what they do and how they do it and how neuroscience comes in and how do you combine neuroscience with marketing and messaging and strategy to put something together that someone can actually do something with. Mm. And now I have enough bandwidth where I get to do that for people at a wide variety of points in their business. Do you find that, I find this on my side. So when you're talking to different people, the way that they receive information is obviously different. And the conversations that you have with them are different. You might be talking about the same thing, but it's brand new and fresh every single time because it's personalized to either the person or the group and the right. dynamics change. So the way that the message is delivered changes. So completely. it's- Complete. And that's my whole point in my business. I just had this conversation with some folks on my team. The reason I hesitated to become a coach slash consultant was there were too many people out there and it wasn't malicious intent. It wasn't any negativity on their part, but they had a good experience with a coach or a program and they learned to parrot what you need to do. Like the mm -hmm. list of five things you need to do and what they didn't know how to do was how do you break it down into action steps that each individual can take and how do you customize it mm -hmm. to the person you're talking about, to your point, to their communication style, to their goals, to their dreams, to their strengths, to their weaknesses, to their fears. Mm -hmm. And that's what keeps me very, very interested in what my clients are doing because the structure of how to grow a business, there's only so many different ways. However, when we apply it to the different people, mm. when we apply it to what they're trying to do, it becomes infinitely more interesting for me. Mm -hmm. And right, my goal is to always entertain myself. So that helps. Um, but that, yeah, but that's what keeps it fresh for me. 
It's seeing those light bulbs go off for people, right? I mean, come yeah. on. And it makes in keeping it fresh is really important because if you're delivering the same message over and over again in the same way, it becomes very monotone and it isn't very exciting. Right. You can get a job in a factory and do that. And I can't do that. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So, so the twofold one yeah. is when you're managing all of these moving parts and you're managing other people, how do you take care of yourself? And then number two, how do you, how do you teach people to take care of them or do you teach people how to take care of themselves while they're going through the pains of oh, learning yeah. how to be, um, so they don't burn out. So half of my program is basically can be called teaching people how to take care of themselves because they really do work at the intersection where what you need to do meets who you need to be to do it. And it's not just how you show up and how you make decisions, but it is like we talked about, how do you recover? How do you have resilience? How do you, what are the tools? And it's not just, hey, take some time off. That's great, but what the hell do I do with time off? I mean, do you see me sitting still? It's like not a thing, right? So how do, what are the tools? to recover. And then personally, I, you know, I'm very active in animal rescue. I, for 10, 15 years, I did dog rescue. And when we moved to the West suburbs of Chicago, I found, I'm like, I want to learn something new. I'm truly shocked. And I started (laughs) working. I started volunteering at a wildlife rescue. So I'm there just about every Friday. I volunteer at a wildlife rescue where my job, I work outside. You're going to laugh. This is perfect timing. Wait till you hear this. I didn't take a picture of this, but I almost did. I work outside with what I call the teenage animals, the adolescents. So it's not the babies in the nursery. I'm in the cages and the enclosures with the animals that are getting ready to be released, Mm -hmm. helping them learn how to do what they need to do to be released. So last Friday, I had a large group of adolescent robins. So in order to get them ready, as if cleaning up in general after possums and raccoons and squirrels and birds wasn't bad enough, what do robins do? They dig for worms. So last Friday, I spent a good half hour filling kitty litter trays with dirt and worms. So that I could put them in the aviary so the adolescent robins could practice. <laughs> and halfway through that, I'm thinking, how did I get here? Like what had to happen? <laughs> what had to happen in my and this is so good because one of the things I teach people and try to relay is your commitment to your outcome has to be greater than whatever is stopping you. Oh, that's a good one. Your commitment to your outcome, your desire for the outcome, whether that's for the life you want to live, the the what you want to leave your children, a charity, foundation, whatever it is, your commitment to the outcome has to be greater than what's stopping you or you won't get through the hard time. Right. Such as filling kitty litter pants <laughs> with dirt, And then go digging up worms to hide them for a bunch of adolescent robins who need to learn how to do that before they're released. So (laughs) did did they figure it out? 
I don't know my job. I don't interact with them a lot. I set the stage and I leave, <laughs> you know, we, we don't bother them a lot. We don't want them to like people. So I had to kind of do it in a way that they didn't see that a person left the worms for them. We don't <laughs> want them to associate humans with look worms. So it was, it was a little subterfuge type of <laughs> sliding the kitty litter pants in. But that's, and I'll tell you, um, in the last several weeks, we had, I've had speaking gigs. I've had events in my business. We bought a house, we moved. I had some of my own animals had emergency vet situations. And I missed more Fridays than usual this summer. And I could feel it. Mm -hmm. I, my stress level was up because first of all, what I was going through was highly stressful and I wasn't getting my fill my cup time mm -hmm. where, and what I like about that role is I have to pay attention. It's not mindless work because they're squirrels and possums and raccoons and you can get bit or they can get out. So it's not mindless work, mm -hmm. but it's back of the mind work. And it allows my brain to quiet down because I don't meditate. It's called sleeping when I do it. So I can't get that quiet. So I need some kind of somewhat mundane task. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of my brain chills. And mm -hmm. so that's what that does for me. Um, it, it's interesting when you get, um, and it happens to all of us, no matter what's going on, you get so involved in these events that happen one on top of the other. And then all of a sudden you, you look back and you realize, wait, I didn't do the things that I need to do to take care right. of myself. And it, and it can all of a sudden happen. And, oh, yeah. and that makes you realize how important, no matter what level of being outside is important to you, because it's different from everybody, for everybody. And that's why I love having these conversations, right. because not everybody's putting worms in a bucket. I so, don't understand why not. <laughs> I, either do I, because it is kind of fun. <laughs> Digging worms is, it. I, I'm from Maine. It's not on well, you. get it. Yeah. And I will tell you, so yeah, what I did was I snuck into the baby duck enclosure oh. because the water bowls for baby ducks when you lift them up all the worms are there <laughs> you got no <laughs> never realized that information was going to become so useful but i knew exactly where to go to find lots of worms very quickly oh that's good that's good maybe we should i don't know if we can follow that, that up that. With that <laughs> so, really so if anybody it. wants to find worms or they would like some business coaching yes how do they find you? <laughs> so I want to do something for your listeners. Actually, I just came up with this and I'm having a lot of fun doing it. So I'm going to offer it to them. So here's the deal where I am giving away literally like anyone who wants it, a 20 minute marketing audit. Like Ooh. seriously, success is not leaping forward. Success is a series of tweaks. And in 20 minutes, if you tell me how you're talking about your business and what you're doing to get the word out, it can absolutely give you a couple of things to adjust that will make all the difference in the world. Wow. So we're doing 20 minute marketing audits. And all you have to do is email hello at conqueryourbusiness.com. Make it real easy for you. It's hello at conqueryourbusiness.com. Put marketing audit in the subject line or whatever you want and just say, hey, heard about the marketing audit. How do I make that happen? And we'll make that happen for you. That's fantastic. Awesome. I'm excited. Yeah. I've been enjoying doing them. That sounds like a fun. 
quick win, right? Yeah. Quick <clears throat> win. So thank you. Thank you for this redo. And, and this felt really different than the other one. So I'm I know, sure. right? So we should just do this every once a, once a month yeah. or so. We just get, get together and talk like this. Totally, totally. <laughs> um, so thanks so much. I appreciate your time today. And um, hello at conqueryourbusiness.com. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Jean. How are you? I am just so excited to be here today. It's good to see you. I feel like we haven't talked in a while, too. So this is good. It's great to be here with you, too. And you know what we're going to talk about today on Rising Up is playfulness. Mm. I think, you know, I just get this feeling that we could all use a little playfulness in the world today. And playfulness and nature are, for me, go hand in hand. And, you know, I recognize that not everybody spent their childhood out in the woods (laughs) running around. But for those of us who lived in small town or rural or just had woods nearby in the city or whatever, um, that can be just a treasured memory. And so what I want to realize is that, you know, we understand that nature has a positive effect on us. It helps us, you know, ground. It helps us to open up to new possibilities. It brings us all this positive energy. So my invitation for everybody today is think about how you could invite some playfulness and nature into your life. So I started thinking about and making a list of ways that I have enjoyed playfulness in nature and the things I used to do as a kid uh, that really brought me a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So one of the things was simply walking around looking for treasures. Mm -hmm. So a treasure might be an acorn cap. A treasure might be a beautiful leaf. A treasure might be a gorgeous rock. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, any of those things. Uh, I was lucky enough to live near woods with a creek running through it. And so we also looked for salamanders and crawdads under rocks, you know, um, and so you have to be careful these days about habitat, not disturbing too much habitat. But what can we go out and look for? Just have a little treasure hunt, right? Just walk out in your yard and have a treasure hunt. What flower, what leaf, what what treasure can you find outside? The other one that we did was bring those treasures back inside and do things with them, create with them, crafts with them. One of my favorites was to find leaves and bring them in and put a piece of paper over them and use a crayon or a pencil. Remember that? Mm -hmm. That can be just a fun thing to do and put it in your office and let it remind you all day long about the amazing um, gifts of nature and help you plug into those during your work day. So what kind of playfulness can there be out in the world uh, of nature for you? And how can you just take a break today and have a little playfulness out in nature and let that allow you to just rise up a little today? So that's our, that's my message for you, Jean. I hope everybody goes and has some fun in nature this week. 
That's wonderful. Treasure, treasure hunting is, is one of our favorites. And I'll just have to add one thing that the, the family joke is that well, my daughter-in-law is a great treasure hunter and we love to go tide pooling and just look and see what's around and, and bringing rocks home is even though leave no traces, you're not supposed to is kind of fun. And so the joke is she finds these big rocks and she hands them to my son and says, here, you carry this. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Will it fit in the backpack? Can I take it home? Yeah, that's right. I love it. You know, we had a tree cut down in our backyard and they were going to charge us to haul it away. And we were like, no, just cut it up. And they cut it up into about three foot tall cylinders. And so for years we had these seats in the backyard that were the cut up tree. And so we used to have all kinds of games. The kids would run and jump over the tree stumps and we would sit around them and it was just a wonderful thing so tree stumps limbs sticks all of it yeah let's go have some fun with it that's awesome thank you so much lynn very much it's great to see you good to see you too jean